Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and take them and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. While you turn there, uh, I'll say a few things. R.C. Sproul was once quoting the famous line that says, in our contemporary culture, don't just stand there, do something. And he said, in the, in the church, it needs to be said, don't just do something, stand there. Because we're a people who no longer stand. And today, we continue to see Paul stand and, and what he does. But we see um, how he's vindicated in our passage today. One thing that's worthy of note, there is a lot of religion that surrounds us. We live in, and it's really no longer properly called the Bible Belt. It's just not properly called. But we, we live in a world where there's a lot of things that seem to be religious. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, it's religion without any power. And today, Paul is going to go against all the seeming religion. And he's going to say, that religion has no power. And what you and I need is the truth of the gospel. And we need to, to tuck it so deeply in our beings that it changes us. And so, we're going to see him discount one and uphold another today. But hopefully I can show that in some way. But let's pray, and then we'll read Galatians. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, uh, what a sweet time it is to gather together. Uh, Lord, we do pray, as we continually pray, unite our hearts to fear your name. Lord, let us see wonderful things in your testimonies. And let us behold the beauty of the Word of God this evening. And we pray that you would come and change us by that for the glory of our Savior and our King. We pray in His name. Amen. Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Our main text is going to be verses 6 through 10, but I'll pick up on verse 5 briefly. The Apostle writes, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery... To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed to be influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, 
they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God endures forever. May he write trees on each of our hearts. Well, I have a proposition and two points, which is in your bulletins for you. The proposition, the point of the text, see the unity of the gospel. See the unity of the gospel that doesn't look on appearances. And see the unity of the gospel that goes to all the nations. See the unity of the gospel that doesn't look on appearances, that goes to all the nations. First, that doesn't look on appearances. Just preliminarily, as we jump in, look back at verse 5, because I know everyone remembers everything I said last week, but we'll jump back into verse 5 as a refresher for me. To them, who is that? The false brothers in verse 4. We did not yield in submission even for a moment for this purpose, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We've seen throughout Galatians so far, and I I hope you've grabbed it, the battle tone, that there is... Uh, a polemical ad- adversity going on throughout Galatians. There's no section of thanksgiving for the church. There's a simple admonition and warning as soon as he opens this book. And it's coming to warn the people of those who have crept into their midst. Paul is he's, he's not interested in, in fluffy things in Galatians. He's interested in caring for people's soul. And he's willing to fight for it. And here we just saw that he's gone up to Jerusalem the second time, independent of uh, seeking uh, affirmation, but actually going up because of a revelation and fighting against false teachers, which is verses 1 through 5. And now in verse 6, he's picking up again something that he's briefly mentioned. He mentioned in verse 2, he said, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, and he has this little clause in your Bible. Though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim. That little clause, he he diverts between verses 3 and 5 to tell you of his stand for the truth. And now he goes to tell you what was the verdict of those who seemed influential, right? And so in verse 6, he picks back up what he brought up in verse 2. That he set before them the gospel that he proclaims, and now in verse 6... He says, and from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed to be influential added nothing to me. You probably grabbed it when we read the scripture, but he brings this word seemed up over and over again. Again, And Paul, in his digression, he's, going to, he's digressing because these men seemed influential to the Galatians. They seemed to be the rocks and pillars upon which the church was founded, which there is only one foundation that the church is founded upon. It's the Lord Jesus. He says that to the Corinthians who were struggling in this, in this regard. And so they're saying these men as foundations. But he's coming and saying the gospel is the foundation upon which the church is built. Now, these men were extremely influential. You see who they are in verse 9. James, Cephas, and John. These are the bigwigs. These are the modern celebrities of Paul's day, as it were. And they're great 
because if you notice in verse 12 of chapter 2, these false teachers were finding, they were saying that our authority is coming from James. Our authority is coming from Jerusalem. Paul, second-rate apostle, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We got it from the source. And here Paul says, I was in Jerusalem, I met the bigwigs, seemed influential, and let me tell you what they said. It is interesting that false teachers found their uh, accreditation in falsehoods. Do you see it? Because uh, these men who have these false brothers in verse 4 are saying they're coming from James, which James is going to completely give the right hand of fellowship to Paul, but that is part of the point. But just note it. I want you to focus in in verse 6 and just kind of zoom your lens and see what it says. And from those who seemed to be influential. He's not denying the authority of Peter. He's not denying the authority of John. He's, he's denying the fact that he has been demoted in authority. But he's also coming at it from a second point. He's saying that these Judaizers are paying attention to the, to the accreditations of the flesh. And that's not how God sees things. Who you are is not always very visible. We live in a day of media. And who knows whether the news is ever true. We live in a day where people portray themselves on social media as those who have their whole lives together. That their whole life is never falling apart, no matter what anyone may say. They've got, they, they dress the coolest, they drive the coolest, they're married to the best, and everyone else's life is just not good. We live in a day where everyone portrays themselves as the very best version of themselves. And the Judaizers were very much that. They said, look at me. I am the best. They said, I'm the best at keeping the law. I'm the best at teaching others. I'm the best at loving Jesus, loving his church, doing all these things. And they lay out their accreditations for people. But what you always present is not exactly a good presentation. It doesn't mean it's true. And Paul here comes to say that what you're looking at is not the proper things. You're looking at these things and saying, that is true religion. You're looking at all the externals and saying, they've got it all. And he said, you're simply wrong. Now, I mean, these were bigwigs, like I said. You know, Peter, John, these are the inner three. The people who Jesus calls to go away even from the other nine, right? I mean, if you're, if you're thinking in the terms of the Gospels, I mean... Peter often represents the whole. He speaks for the whole. John's called the beloved disciple, the one who leaned on Jesus. At, at the cross, John was the one who was there. At the tomb, Peter and, and John were the ones who ran to see the tomb. Uh, if you're thinking, like, Peter is personally restored. These men lived and walked with Jesus. If you're talking about accreditation-wise, these men had it. These men had everything. If you said, they told me it, you can imagine the authority that that would actually have to bear in the early church. They confessed Christ. They saw Him. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They pre- and post-resurrection, these men were with Jesus. James himself was a member of the, of the Holy Family. He grew up with Jesus. The Lord Jesus appeared to him post-resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. 
and Jesus converted him post-resurrection. Like these men had accreditation. But these men, who according to the flesh had a great deal of repertoire, it's not the thing which they're supposed to be judged by. Now Paul knew this, and time would fail us to try to discuss it, but Paul knew what it was to be for men to have good repertoire and ultimately leave Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. Demas, who's mentioned in multiple letters, who walked with Paul through multiple missionary journeys, at the end of life said, you know what, the world looks a lot better. Demas, or Judas, who, who lives three years with the disciples, and at the end of three years, none of them know that he's uh, uh, going to betray them. Lord, is it I? Is it I? No one said, is it Judas? Men may seem to be something they're not. And, it, and Paul's really coming around to say, if you find your hope in what seems to be, you're going to end disappointed. There is a day when all things will be laid bare. And if you want to build for yourselves a kingdom of seeming beauty and find all that you are in this world and what you do, it's going to leave you very disappointed. But this is the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that it does not rest on you. And this is why Paul says, what they were makes no difference to me. He says, those who seemed influential, verse 6 at the end, added nothing to me. They told me I was right and proper, that it is Jesus alone and no addition of circumcision. No addition of ceremonial law whereby a man is saved and made right with God. Whereby a man, here's the declaration of Matthew 3.16. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. It's being in Jesus alone that gives you that right. And here, Paul is opposing and standing. But Paul is not only affirmed by the apostles that he has the right message that these men who, uh, who are making much of the flesh are wrong, but he's given in verse 7. On the contrary, you see he's adding to his argument here. On the contrary, verse 7, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, verse 9, they gave the right hand of fellowship. They saw what, two things. They saw that Peter, uh, Paul was entrusted with the same gospel. He had the same message. And so he had the same commission. And you see the comparison in verse 7. That he was on the same authority. Same authority. And same commission as Peter. Which would have been utterly astounding to any Judaizer of that day. That Paul was just raised up to Peter's bar as it were. But not only were they raised. They were given a right hand of fellowship. And I love what... Um, I love what uh, G, uh, J.G. Manchin said. He said, It is only by having the gospel in common that there is any basis for fellowship. That this, they give him the right hand of fellowship. Why? Because they have the same message, fighting for the same kingdom, and pushing for the same, you know, they, they're on the same plane here. Now, I think it's really encouraging. I hope you're encouraged by it. The truth will succeed. And that's what we see here. We see the truth succeeding, the gospel being upheld, 
And we see the unity of the church gathering around the gospel. Now, we could, we could trace, but perhaps a short illustration is due. Um, Athanasius, which I may have used before, but I love Athanasius. He was called the Black Dwarf. He was uh, from northern Africa, and he was said to be really short. But he was defender in the early church. And when Arianism was rising up throughout the world, and, and it was said of Christianity that the whole world has gone to Arian. And Arianism was um, where they believed that Jesus wasn't God. He was an exalted man. And Athanasius standing on the truth was, uh, had many exiles. I believe seven exi- times he was exiled from churches. And then he was brought back. And one time he was brought back before the Ro- Roman tribunal. And they said to him, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. What do you have to say for yourself? And Athanasius said, then I guess Athanasius is against the whole world. I'll stand for the truth and the truth of the gospel that's founded on the person of Jesus and what he has done. And ultimately, you saw that the truth did prevail. The person of Christ was upheld, Arianism was demolished, and the church grew. And the same thing happens right here. The Judaizers come out and try to bring devastation to the church. Paul stands, and what happens? The Judaizers are demolished, and the church grows in the gospel. Jesus promised in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell would not prevail against him and his church, and they haven't. It is the beauty of of Christ and his kingship that's on display in Galatians 2. But we only see the unity of the gospel and that it doesn't look on appearances. It judges things rightly, dividing truth and, and error. But it also, it goes to all the nations. See the purpose statement in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. Why? that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This happens in verse 7, 8, and 9. And the apostles obviously making a point of it. In verse 7, that he was entrusted with the gospel, the uncircumcised Peter to the circumcised. In verse 8, you have the distinction between circumcised and the Gentiles. And then verse 9, they're given the gospel and the right hand of fellowship that they might go to the Gentiles. They might go to the nations. The gospel is not only for one particular people in one particular place. It is for all the world. And all the world in that day would have been broken up into two categories in any Israelite's mind. The Jew and the Greek. And when they say that the gospel is not only going to the Jew and Peter, but it's going to the Greek and Paul, they're saying that all the world the gospel is for. Jesus' kingdom is spreading. And this is great news. It is spreading. And we see two-kingdom theology coming out in this text. That there is the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of Satan. The false teachers trying to bring the kingdom of Satan into the church. But Jesus' kingdom going to the world. It is that passage in Mark where Jesus has bound the strong man. And is now taking all of his possessions. The giving the right hand of fellowship is saying, 
We serve the same king. Now, Christ's kingdom shall prevail. Uh, Isaiah 11, verse 9, which I alluded to last week, says, The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the, as the waters cover the sea. Fruition. And isn't it an encouragement that Paul's standing for the gospel here in Galatians 2, that we are actually a part of the fruit of such a stand. You and I are not Jews by birth. We are the nations. And the gospel has come to you and it has come to me because men have stood for this gospel. Because God has preserved through instrumentality of His church and through the gracious work of the Savior in the world, the gospel. And you have to love this gospel. The gospel proclamation of the apostles here, that you don't, verse 3, have to force anyone to be circumcised because Jesus' sufficiency, it's not based on your accolades. The gospel, you, you being saved and the Lord giving good declarations about you is not based on your accomplishments. It's not based on your birthplace. It's not based on your work, your salary, your friends, your family, your school, your spouse. You have God's favor simply because of Jesus and Him alone. And this is the beauty and the loveliness of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that in love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. You have to grasp the loveliness of Christ that can cause unlovely people like you and me to be lovely to Him. Jesus is so beautiful that He causes things that are not beautiful to be made wholly beautiful. We have a great Savior. And this is a great message. I just would perhaps close on this. You have to love this particular point of the gospel, that it is for all peoples. It does not matter, matter whether you're aged or young. It doesn't matter whether your body is in great health or failing. It doesn't matter if your IQ is of, that, of a nuclear scientist or you have the IQ of a baby. We can all understand, trust Jesus, rely on Him, and He'll make you whole. No matter who you are. And that's all God requires of anyone. Just trust in Him. And so, this good news comes to us. And I would tell you, don't look on appearances. But look at the gospel. Trust in Jesus. He's got all you need. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. We do pray. Come and help us to stand for Him. For the glory of and the honor of his name who loves us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.